All right. This is the nature of things. And we are back. Uh, still socially distant, although that has never really been much of a problem for Peter and me because we live some uh, 1,000 miles apart. I actually yep. have never done the measurements. How much is it, Peter? Do you have any idea? No, I have no idea. All right, um, we'll look it up later. Um, okay, this is a podcast where uh, Peter and I, two good friends, get together to um, spout philosophical ramblings at you, our tens of listeners, for uh, some period of time, and then we stop talking. Uh, but we uh, usually kick off each episode with some kind of icebreaker question. Uh, Peter and I know each other pretty well, having lived together in college for a couple of years, but uh, you, our devoted audience, might not know us quite as well, and we like to supply you with uh, a nice little icebreaker question next time you have a gathering, which could be months from now, but at least you'll have a good bank of icebreakers ready to go when that happens. Uh, so, Peter, what is today's icebreaker question? All right, so today's question is, what is a 10 out of 10 for you right now? So for me, when I first thought of this question, my mind immediately went to a restaurant about a mile south of me called Southern Sun and their burritos. They just have this one burrito that's absolutely insane. I love it. Uh, I haven't had it in a while because of quarantine. And it's funny because I'm not a food-oriented person, but this burrito right now is just totally standing out in my mind. So in my head right now, Southern Sun burritos. Um, thinking about this, you know, I, I kind of wonder, maybe we should go to them after this podcast and see if they'll pay us for it. Uh, I like that. Yeah, this, this this podcast retroactively brought to you by Southern Sun Burrito. You you uh, reminded me, Peter, uh, your admit admission of not being a big foodie. Uh, how's the salt, fat, acid, heat excursion going? Not as well as uh, you might hope. We're about halfway <laughs> through the book. We're through salt and fat. Uh, so starting acid soon. You're starting acid soon. Starting acid soon. Everyone, please take this out of context. <laughs> There's your pull quote. Uh, okay, so what's a 10 out of 10 for me right now? Um, it seems, okay, it seems like the uh, answer, at least for you, was something that you have been missing since you haven't been able to have it in a long time. Yeah. So I think my answer will be along similar lines, where right now, for me, a 10 out of 10 is... Waking up feeling fully rested, but not having slept the day away. Mm. It's a nice feeling. So, so it's like, you know, maybe 8.30 a.m. It's a sunny Saturday morning. You got nothing immediately on your agenda. You you woke up right at the appropriate time in your circadian cycle, and you're just like, we have a new day, and I am ready for it entirely. Nice. Oh, that sounds, yeah. It sounds beautiful. I Thank you. I, I, it's something that I do miss pretty dearly. We uh, just got a new puppy, uh, I guess, a little over a month ago. Um, and she's wonderful, but also a complete rascal. And uh, because she is a miniature dachshund with the tiniest bladder in the world, she has to wake up early in the morning to go out. And that's not her fault. But uh, it is something that has not allowed me to have my 10 out of 10 wake up morning in a little while. Don't worry. It's uh, it's coming soon. So 
I hope so. I hope so. Okay. Um, so enough with the icebreakers. Uh, Peter, why don't you get us started today? What is the uh, question we're exploring today? All right. So today's question, very topical. What's it like to have coronavirus? Now, for the listeners, uh, this is kind of an interesting question for me and Tom to discuss because we don't know. Um, no clue. Neither of us has the coronavirus, as far as we know. Um, sure. And I think we want to get at this topic because it's it's really interesting from a philosophical perspective. Is that you know I've never had coronavirus, so how can I know what it's like to have coronavirus? Does that even make sense? Is that mm -hmm. a real? Is that a question you can get a legitimate answer to? Sure. And then on top of that, wh why is it important for you to know what it's like to have the coronavirus? Yeah. And so I think generally, uh, you know, this, this question sort of leads us to the broader question of how do we compare experiences and why is it important to do that? Yeah. You want to okay. wanna fire off some initial thoughts? I think so. Yeah. So one question I have in terms of um, compare experiences is um, a little bit taxonomical, which is like, what do we mean when we say compare? Like, Good question. Um, is my experience better or right. different? Yeah. Or... Are, we, are we accessing or attempting to access other people's experiences um, in order to... Um, relate to them are we doing it in order to uh learn something more about ourselves like what 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 do you think is packed into that word compare so right off the bat i think uh we want to try to we want to pretend in some sense like we're having someone else's experience okay because i think that helps us learn mm -hmm. um in the same way, you know, if, if you uh, if you wanted to do everything yourself, uh, you would find it impossible. You just don't have the time, or you don't have the money, or you don't have the endurance, or you don't have some expensive thing that makes it difficult to get all the experiences that you want. But right. maybe you could read about it and get some fraction of that experience. And so that's partly what I mean by compare is like you say okay well here's what I know from my life and here's what I'm hearing or reading from someone else and so can I imagine that can I pretend to be that hmm interesting okay this is interesting I, I think that um one thing you're touching on there is that this idea of comparison of comparing experiences is at least a little bit self-serving and i don't necessarily mean that in like a purely negative way although i guess it could sometimes be a negative way but um it is the reason that we google everything like if my refrigerator is acting strangely i'm gonna google that symptom and figure out what's going on probably from a testimonial of someone who's done it before yeah and get their experience so that i then can more quickly remedy the situation totally so there's a comparison there where you say i'm gonna go seek someone out 
I have a problem, I have an issue, or I just have some experience that I need to need to go through. Yeah. But I want to very practical. Um, yeah, I want to go seek out someone who's done that before so that it'll be easier for me to do. Here's a question. Do you think that's lazy? Could be. Uh, could be lazy, could be prudent. Okay. Um, you know, if you're a, a general who's about to lead his troops into battle, uh, perhaps it would be great if you read some accounts of other people who have done something like that. Sure. Or if uh, I was about to uh, ride a bicycle across the United States, it would probably be in my best interest not to just start pedaling. Fair. <laughs> um, I mean, but, th- but that being said, you know, if it's uh, if you're spending all your time reading about it and none of your time pedaling, then maybe it is lazy. Interesting. Okay. So. Oh, I think there's okay. a fine so, line there. Well, and I think, too, that that does um, get to another sort of portion of that question, which is we talked about compare. Let's also talk about experiences, which inherent in that question is the fact that both parties being compared to one another need to have experiences. Okay. You see what I'm saying? So like, like you were just okay. saying... If I'm just going to read about bicycling across the country, then I have never, I obviously have not biked across the country. Hmm. I've only ever read about it. Okay. Okay. So, so here's an interesting question then, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is what about if you want to compare experiences to someone who's experienced something that you can never experience? So, for example, if I wanted to, uh, read Jane Austen and learn what it was like to be a woman a few hundred years ago or a hundred and some years ago, you know, I, I, I have no chance of ever learning that or experiencing that for myself. But I think there's still something I can learn from the experiences of the characters in her novel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is, I mean, as an English teacher, I can, I can get down with this train of thought. I want to explore it a little bit more because um, to speak of other great uh, female authors um, or just great authors, no descriptor. Um, I, I'm reading uh, Toni Morrison's novel Paradise right now. Okay. Um, and I love Toni Morrison. I mean, she's one of my favorite writers. I just think she's... Uh, off the hook, and uh, this portion of the podcast is brought to you by the estate of Toni Morrison, R.I.P. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, yeah, I have Song of Solomon downstairs. I haven't started it yet. It's a great one. You got to get in there. Um, Toni Morrison, um, a writer who uh, almost exclusively, not entirely, but almost exclusively, is writing um, from and through the experience of an African-American person, specifically a woman, although she has plenty of male characters as well. Um, so the, the, the argument in favor of reading that sort of thing um, for a white male like me is to greater appreciate and understand um, the uh, experience of a black person in America, right? Yeah. I find that to be valuable, Um but it would be a good thing to know if it's possible to know. Right, exactly. And that's what I wanted to ask, too. So I, I brought up the question. So now I'm kind of questioning my own question here. But I brought up that idea of 
both parties need to have experiences, right? Like right. I can only compare my experience biking across the U.S. with someone else who has also done it. I can't just read about it. Then I'm just comparing my understanding of it with something else. But that doesn't quite apply to other things. For example, I will never know what it's like to be a black person in America. And right. no book is going to completely replicate that experience for me. Right. And I think that this this question is very closely tied to our original question, which is how can we compare experiences? Because, you know, in the same way that you're saying you will never experience being a black person in America, no black person in America will ever experience being a different black person in America. Right, totally. And so how is it that, you know, any of us, so we're two white guys, we both went to Princeton, we both grew up in the South, we are very similar in a number of ways, but as you know, and our listeners know less, we're also very different in a number of ways. Yeah. And so is there some threshold of similarity at which you can legitimately compare experiences? Is it always fair to compare experiences? You know, where's the, can I, uh, you know, I, I can maybe learn some experiences about people who have been farmers. I've never farmed myself. I've been to some farms. Uh, how similar do you have to be to, to learn from someone else's experience? Hmm. That's interesting because I actually hadn't considered our original question, how do we compare experiences, in the way that you just phrased it. My first instinct was to think, okay, let's find some tools that we can use to compare experiences. But now the question seems to be, how can we? Yeah. Is that even possible? Like uh, you could almost say, can we even compare experiences? Um, Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, because... I'm, I was assuming true. that we could because right. we do. Right. But do but we that, do, we do that, that well? Is it legit? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Because like you said, you and I on paper, very similar. Uh, but at no point in my life will I ever truly understand what it's like to be Peter Johnson. Right. So, okay, where, so where do we go from here? Yeah. So it, it seems to me that it's it's I don't know. It feels a little bit stupid to say we can't compare experiences, so let's just not. Right. In, in like, my obviously, opinion... Obviously, that's a left turn that we're just not... That doesn't seem productive of anything right. at all. In my opinion, if you do that, you throw out all of literature, more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, and pretty much any sort of practical instruction from someone who has done something that you've never done. Yeah, that's an schooling en- largely. Right. That's an yeah. enormous amount of stuff that I think we just can't throw out. Oh, uh, okay. So you would almost say that life itself cannot sort of persist in a way that isn't comparative. Uh, I, I don't mean, know maybe... if I would go that far, but go on. Okay, go on. That's, that's, let's that's, flush that's, it out. Let's flush it out. That's an extreme end, but I'm thinking about the transcendentalists. Okay. Uh, we're just about finished with the uh, the school year, and um, 
my sophomore class is an American literature survey. So back in the first semester, we read, or maybe it was early this semester, regardless, we read, you know, the works of the transcendentalist, Emerson, Thoreau. These are guys who said, mm-hmm. like, society is this corruptive influence. You got to go out into nature and, and sort of into the realm of the Almighty so that you can access the oversoul, right? And somehow, um, become closer to God and to the truest version of yourself and that um, self-reliance is important and this, that, and the other, right? Okay. And that's a, that's a philosophy that even if the sort of nature aspect of it isn't um, still as prevalent, I think that that uh, really informs a lot of at least like American ways of thinking, right? Self-reliance and knowing yourself and sort of going out and finding your own experience. So right? here's here's an interesting argument. We'll take a little bit of a tangent here, I think, but sure. I, I think yeah, it's yeah. worth doing. Yeah. Um, my impression of Thoreau and Emerson is that they would each feel like it was less important to read their work than to do any of the things they suggested. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you so, agree with that? As in, don't read walden just go out and build your own cabin and live alone by a pond in the woods right you will learn what thoreau wants you to learn by doing that not by reading walden okay yeah interesting so why do you bring up that point well because it seems like we're actually we're getting at a question of philosophy here so and and it it comes to the point of of what you were saying earlier where you made this extreme claim that you know life life would sort of not be without this uh, sort of yeah. comparison of experiences. And I think that each of these authors would say, well, actually, just go try this yourself and learn directly from the spring, you know. Hmm. Okay, okay. And you're saying that sort of implicit in that is a sort of non-comparative experience? Yes, because what I would maybe say is about the transcendentalists that so much of their philosophy is actually a reaction against something, um, okay. against sort of um, institutional knowledge, against uh, consumerism to an extent. Um, and well, that... let's get into institutional knowledge, okay? Because uh, that seems relevant to what we're talking mm-hmm. about here. Yeah, because the, the point that I was getting at there is that the transcendentalists still are kind of inherently comparing. You know, they're comparing the... Oh, they're comparing ex- their new philosophy to... To institutional knowledge, against. yeah, yeah. Or just simply comparing what their experience is like doing this whole, you know, retreat into the woods and live there for two years by yourself thing with right. life in a normal, quote-unquote, society. Right. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So that, that, that might be a little bit semantic in terms of using the word comparative, but... Well, no, no, no. I don't think it is at all, actually, because if they really maybe believed that this comparison was useless, uh, why write the book? Yeah, yeah. I right, mean, because wh- the act of writing a book that you publish, presumably you're going to expect someone to read it. And to learn something from reading it, even if they go. haven't done the things that you've done in the book. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a there's a comparative impulse there or yeah. a sense of someone might need this for their own experience. 
Um, and let's actually pause here because when you said comparative impulse, it, it brought something to my mind. Uh, okay. Just for the, just for clarifying our words. Um, when we're saying comparison right now, I'm at least not intending to imply any kind of greater or lesser than. Uh, like I'm not, yes. when I say we're comparing experiences, I don't mean to say that we're going to decide in a winner take all tournament whose experience is superior. Right. I, I agree with that. Yeah, totally. I, I, we, we could have another it, podcast on whether or not you can have a better or worse experience, but right now that's not the goal. Right. It's, it's, it's literally comparing in a sense of like, what did theirs look like? What does mine look like? And where am I at the end of considering that difference? Right. There's this, you know, this very common saying, you can't compare apples and oranges. Are people's experiences apples and oranges? Are mm. the experiences between two different people different enough that they can't be compared? And I think for me, the answer has to be no. Right. Yeah, I think so too. But but elaborate on why. Because. Well, okay. I think I can answer that question. I okay. Think it's yeah. Because there there is. I think it's just because there is still enough in common. Hmm. Like there's enough. Like we just said about you and me, Peter. Like there is enough in common in our lives that even though we're very different people, in a number of in a number of ways, we have enough shared material that it's it's worthwhile to uh compare okay so this is super interesting then mm -hmm. because what that implies if, if you're saying there's enough common in, common material that there's that it's worth comparing that there is some threshold at which beyond that you really can't compare experiences okay yes so so, and, and there's some, you know, uh, literary and historical precedent for this. Uh, you know, in, in the Bible, uh, God's talking to someone, uh, maybe you know who, and he says, you know, like, so high are my ways above your ways. Like, you can't understand me. Mm -hmm. Like, you will not be able to. Right. Uh, we are too different. Yeah fundamentally so we're fundamentally yeah. too different and you could imagine that that might be similar if you were trying to read literature from uh termites right um, it, it would be they're so foreign it, it would be impossible really to relate to their experience yeah totally totally i was actually to to circle back on the uh Hey, we got a dog during quarantine. Uh, I was I was just reading an article that the headline of which I'm I'm kind of paraphrasing it, but it was basically like eight things humans do that really confuse dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and it's and it's funny the way that like we expect dogs to at least house pets, you know, to like conform to a um, certain pattern of behavior or at least respond to a certain form of communication. I mean, we've tried so many... The, our dog, again, bless her, she's the best, but she chews on everything in the house. Yeah. And we've tried just about every form of, like, way of getting through to her that, like, no, you can't do that, right? Yeah. And it might be that we're just not even hitting the right signal, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, one, one of the 
things that the article said was that um, dogs are very confused that humans don't like biting. Yeah. <laughs> as as in like, you know, we dogs think it's fine to bite. That's like how they play most of the time or how they like explore the world. Like kind of like a baby, um, they um, experience new things like orally. They chew on stuff and that's how they kind of get to know new things or, you know, certainly if they're teething, that's a whole nother matter. But that it's very strange to them when we try to like stop them from doing that, like, don't do that. That hurts me. Or like, you're going to tear up the carpet or whatever, or my shoelaces. Right. Um, it's like so foreign to them that they, because, because the level of difference between the comparison is so great that it's, yeah. Okay. So here's something interesting though, now that you brought this up. Yeah. Is that the dog is confused by the humans, mm -hmm. but someone wrote this article and presumably it wasn't a dog. <laughs> uh as far as i know yeah i didn't look at the byline but i think that's correct yeah so so there is some human who understood the dog well enough to write this mm -hmm. and you have the capacity to imagine what the dog is thinking okay right so there's uh there does actually seem to be some kind of comparative hierarchy here and uh again you know if we look at this biblical reference it's God talking to the person that says, you can't understand me, not the person who says to God, you can't understand me. Okay. Yes, I follow. Right. So you can, as a person, can imagine what it's like to be a horse, but a horse can't imagine what it's like to be a person. Right. Okay. Yes. So getting back to people comparing experiences... Right. I think that's where it's most interesting is because I do, I think you're spot on with the sort of hierarchy, but then what happens when it's, when we're all on the same rung of the ladder? Exactly. So I, to me, I want to say instinctively, and I don't know that this is right, but I want to say instinctively that you can always learn from someone else's experience because you're both people and yeah, that, you're both human beings. And that is enough in common to mean that you can understand their life to some extent. Okay. Yes. Even if you are a, of a different race or gender or whatever the other... Or culture or time or any of these other things. You know, like, like um, I think we talked about this... Uh, not on this episode, but, you know, like if you wanted to understand what it was like to live uh, in Pompeii, yeah. you know, you'll never be able to do that because the people who lived in Pompeii or let's say before Vesuvius erupted, those people are long gone. They have no way to communicate their experience to you aside from what they've written. Yeah. And aside from what other people have written about them. Right. And I think... I would say that that's possible to achieve. I don't want to. possible to achieve? It's possible to achieve uh, an understanding of what life was like for them. Okay. Yeah. And that's it's kind of a bold claim, and I don't want to under, understate the difficulty of it. Mm hmm. But I think that to me, that's like a really core part of being human, is an yeah. ability to basically play pretend and yep. imagine that 
your life is like someone else's, even though it's not at all. Yeah, okay. And I don't want to say that that's easy to do. No, and and nor should it be said, is it a replacement for actually being that person? No, Um, certainly not. Yeah, I mean, you know, when Vesuvius erupted, I bet it was pretty agonizingly terrible to be a citizen of Pompeii. Right. And I, thankfully, don't know what that, like, physically felt like. I haven't been through that physical experience. You and I were just talking about... Um, how you couldn't go on a backpacking trip because there was avalanche danger. Right. And then we both proceeded to talk about how horrible it would be to be caught in an avalanche. Right. So we somehow And neither of us has been caught in an avalanche. Precisely. Yes. Okay. So there is enough at our human rung of the experiential ladder and just of our ability to sort of imagine... Which is interesting because you brought up imagination um, in a different episode. What was the context of that again? Ooh, I'm not sure I remember. It was a long time ago. I think it had something to do with um, creation, like innovation. Hmm. It takes imagination to imagine something different than the way it currently is. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. If you want to... If you want the world to be some particular way, then you have to imagine how it should be. Yeah. Like if, if you want to say there's a problem with society right now, let's say, that requires imagination of imagining a society that doesn't have that problem. So right. you can compare them and say, oh, the one without the problem is better. Okay. Yeah. So then let's 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 bring that into this conversation because I think it takes imagination on our part to attempt to compare experiences. Again, you and I both know enough about avalanches, probably having heard about people's experiences who have survived avalanches, that mm-hmm. we know that that sounds terrible. Yeah. Um so how do we compare experiences? Well, it's kind of just baked into like what our brains are capable of doing, which is sort of acknowledging that we have enough shared ground as people to recognize like, okay, that's a human. He has a face and his limbs look like this and he walks on two legs and he's speaking. Even if it's not my language, he's still talking out of his mouth. And and, and we can sort of say like, I relate to that somehow. Right. Because it's another human being. Therefore, I I can understand something about their experiences. We, we have enough ground to compare experiences. We have enough grounds to compare experiences. But at the same time, we do want to be careful in that we don't say, I know what it's like when you don't necessarily. Right. You know, yeah. that can, that can, if someone tells you that, that comes across as very patronizing. Right. They say, totally. oh, like, you know, Tom, you know, you're complaining to me about how much work it is to be a teacher, and I know how hard it is, but you got to just push through it. You'd be like, the fuck? You don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't know my life. You don't know my life. Like, you ain't no teacher. You ain't no teacher. Like, you haven't, you know, had to prepare material and like deal with these unruly students and like, you know, do all of these things 
and you claiming that you know that in order to uh, say that I should be doing something differently is offensive. Hmm. Yeah. Um, actually, here, here's a very interesting point. So, yeah. Um, there is a, this is some just sort of behind the scenes for all of our listeners, but we were originally planning for this episode to be about why we hate being told what to do. And we kind of figured that this actually somewhat naturally dovetailed into uh, how, how to compare experiences between people. And right now I'm realizing that one of the reasons we don't like being told what to do is because it's, it's very painful when someone else presumes to know our situation and then decides to do something different than what we would have chosen ourselves. Yeah, it, there, there's a, there's a move happening there where that person seems to like invalidate the choices I've made up to that point. Bingo, or, yeah. bingo. And I think that's huge, right? Like, I mean, imagine, you know, you you are doing something that feels very significant for you, mm-hmm. and someone else comes to you and says, "Ah, you know what?" But like. I know what your experience is like, and actually, you're wrong. Right. And then you look at them and you say, but do you know what my experience is like? Do you actually, like, have you experienced these things I've experienced? And the answer to that can always be no. Right. Because because even though we can compare experiences and sort of start to learn uh, what it's like to be someone else through the use of our imagination and through communication... We still aren't that person. Right. It's comparing experiences. It's not replicating experiences. Right. So then the, the follow-on question to that, because I, it, it goes back to that threshold that you were mentioning, because I do think you're absolutely 100% spot on in saying that someone who comes along and basically says like, oh, buck up, it will get better, or oh... You I know what it's done like. That. Yeah, I know what it's like. Um, that feels patronizing, or it's just unhelpful. Um, yeah. However, I do think. I mean, it's like I do think that there are uh, merits to being able to relate to someone. I mm-hmm. mean, it's why things like support groups exist. You know. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So then, what is the line there that we're talking about? Because um, it does, as we, we've elaborated on the numerous ways in which comparing experiences is helpful. It's um, if you want to do something more efficiently and save yourself a lot of headache, if you simply want to know about a different culture or maybe to um, understand your neighbor who is of a different race or uh, gender, um, there are positive reasons for comparing experiences absolutely and and yet it is also a slippery slope it's a negative thing to start actively um projecting that comparison onto other people Mm -hmm. so how do we compare experiences we can because we are human beings and we have enough shared ground that we sort of intuitively know that we're going we're experiencing things in similar ways and and we and uh, I guess that's more of the how can we compare, 
Right. And then the how do we compare is through a combination of, you know, communication and imagination. Yeah. Where I tell you what it's like, and then you imagine experiencing that yourself. So then the follow-on question to that is why? Well, I think, you know, like you were asking earlier about a a dividing line for support groups, for example. Mm -hmm. And I think there is something very helpful if I say to you, you know, I accept that your experience is close enough to mine or that you have a good enough understanding of my experience that I now want your advice. Okay. So when we enter into a relationship, there needs to be some kind of communication of like um, consent to comparison or something. Does that, that rings a little Ooh, like that's heavy. Yeah, it does. Uh, but I kind of like it, but it's not just, it's not comparison. Cause I think you always want that in that okay. you always want the other person trying to understand what it's like to be you. Mm-hmm. But only at a certain level, do you then turn around and say, okay, I accept that in this circumstance, this particular instant, you understand enough about me and my experience that you might be able to make a good judgment on what I should do. Mm -hmm. But then up to that point, it's not up to us to verbalize that judgment. Right, right. Or, you know, do so at your own peril. Um, right. You might need to still, you know, if you have a friend who's an alcoholic and you need them to stop drinking. Right. And they didn't really ask you to do that. And you say to yourself, too bad. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm weighing the risk and here it goes. Yeah, exactly. But you know that you're taking that risk as you say, I understand, you know, it is patronizing, guaranteed. Mm. You're saying, yeah. I understand your situation and experience and you're not doing it right. Mm. That's patronizing. Yep. Um, but, you know, if you weigh the risk and you decide that that's worth it um, and that it's going to help your friend, then go for it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's absolutely a risk. Yeah, yeah. So there's this, so the threshold is, um, well, maybe not threshold, but, but what I'm, what I'm kind of hearing is, you know, you mentioned that, question that we had originally asked ourselves which is why do we hate being told what to do yeah and what it is it seems to me is that um we hate being told what to do but not at the expense of that exchange between two people Mm -hmm. okay so it does seem to me that there is value in comparison and again Mm -hmm. i'm not using that in like the value judgment kind of way um but there's value in the comparison in that we do crave at least i crave being able to express my experiences to someone yes but it is also true that i do not then necessarily want someone to try and throw their experience back or, or perhaps pretend to speak into my experience. Right, right, exactly. It's, and I think that's the, that's the key point here is that 
there's sort of a there's a, a personal threshold where you've evaluated someone else's understanding of your own experience. Mm-hmm. And you said, yeah, they get it. I want to hear what they have to say about effectively how I should live my life. That's a very yeah. personal thing. Yeah. Um, and so until the point where you've sort of said that internally, uh, you don't necessarily, and probably by default, you don't accept that other people understand your experience. Right, right. Until you've done the sort of mental calculation in your own mind of like, there's something about that person that seems to, it, it's doing the comparison, isn't it? There's something about that person's experience that seems to be relevant to my own. Ha, huh, that's that's kind of meta, but yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that until then, oftentimes what we're looking for is not to be told what to do, but just to be heard. You right, know? right. So, so then, okay, I want to consider the sort of leading question about what is it like to have coronavirus? Yes, it's our clickbait podcast title. That's right. And we might get into the 20s of listens this time. Hey, maybe let's go. Okay, so we've reached this interesting place where we um, understand, even if it's deeply subconsciously, that we in some respects relate to all human beings by virtue of the fact that we are human beings. Yes. And that our brains do function similarly in certain ways. And we do see the world in, in similar ways just by virtue of having eyes up here and feet down here, you know? Yep. Okay. So then from there, we also said, okay, what that means is that we are doing some kind of comparison to other people and again, not in a negative connotation kind of way, but we're yep. just... It's not how saying we're we, better or worse. We're just right. trying to relate. Yes. And, and, and that is true even for the transcendentalist hermit who goes out and lives in the woods, right? At least He's, the one who writes about it. Maybe. Or, but like, I mean, you could even say what was the impetus for him going out and living in the woods, well, I, I'm just, I could just imagine someone whose impetus is really just the draw of the woods. Okay. But even then, I mean, you can you, it, it, it gets semantic, but you could say he's comparing the woods to the city, you know, and that's a Perhaps. sort of okay. com- comparison of experience. But okay. again, that's kind we'll of splitting hairs. Sure. Yeah, it's kind of splitting hairs, but I do think that um, as we talked about on a previous episode, we do have some drive to be in the presence of other people and yes. interacting with other people. Yes. Um, specifically physically, you know, in the room with someone. Mm. Um, and so implicit in human interaction is this is, comparison is the comparison precisely. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, very interesting. Yeah. And, and so that gets us at a point where we, I think it takes a lot of self-awareness to know because it, like, this is something I've learned in a lot of different human relationships is, um, you know, not to try to necessarily find a solution to someone's problems, but just to, like, yeah. listen until being kind of granted access, right? Right, right. You are just trying to, for your own 
for the for the beauty of it in itself, just learn what it's like to be them. Yeah, precisely. And so to get us back to our leading question, it sort of puts me in this state of wondering like, okay, what is the value in trying to imagine that I have coronavirus? Well, I think some of it here is uh, is just plain old fashioned fear. You know, like you mm. talked about with uh, with Pompeii, if you lived during the time that Vesuvius was erupting, that would be quite terrifying and likely excruciating. Yeah. Uh, if you knew that was a possibility that might happen to you today, you might be more interested to know what it might be like so you could prepare yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so it sort of... I think there's some practical reasons there. It makes you take it more seriously subconsciously. Yeah, more seriously, or you think to yourself, oh, well, you know, maybe I need to prepare a will or, like, take some other kind of just, like, concrete practical action that you wouldn't have thought of before Mm -hmm. you knew what it was like. Yeah, and, you know, what else I think it maybe does is that um, because you and I as far as we know, have not had the virus. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it makes me a little bit more um, cautious about making a proclamation about the virus. Okay. Because since I don't have that experience, mm. I can't compare my virus experience with someone else's. So I think that that means I don't necessarily have the um, ground to stand on to say, it's not that bad. Like, let's all chill out and calm down. Now I can sort of, you know, assess my own feelings about my you know health practices and who I've interacted with and all that. It's not to be flippant one way or the other. It's not to be fully doomsday or fully like blasé about it, but... I don't know. I guess maybe it just it, it it should, in the same way that I shouldn't speak into someone's life unless they deem me um, someone who has enough sort of worthy, relatable mm. experience to speak into them. The same. So therefore, I don't okay. go around making proclamations about that person's right, life. But, but here's know. something very interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, before we brought up an example where maybe you have a friend who's an alcoholic. And you decided to take a risk of telling them how to live their life, in this case, drink less, uh, even though they haven't given you permission to do that. Because you think that it's better for them and you're willing to take the risk Mm. of of, uh, being patronizing. Yeah. So in the case of this coronavirus, even though you haven't had the experience of having the coronavirus... I think that there are a lot of people willing to take the risk and say, but you still shouldn't go to the concert and get in the mosh pit. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think even we can though actually, that's a patronizing can, thing to say. Yeah. And I think that we can actually combine those answers too, which is to say that like calculating the risk still involves calculating, you know, mm-hmm. and, and sort of saying like, okay, um, is it, am I in a position of comparative experience to where um, 
I ought to take the risk to make this proclamation. You know, uh, you know, in some cases that means do I have the medical expertise or uh, am I in a room of people who will uh, take my proclamation seriously? You know, whatever it is. And so- sometimes mm-hmm. you might weigh the, the, the calculation and just say, yes, at all costs, it's worth me being patronizing and taking the risk. Like that might be the conclusion one arrives at. But right. I do still think I do still think it takes um, some thought. You know, I think it takes some deliberation to arrive at that point. Uh, yeah. In the same way that it might take some deliberation to not be blasé about it and say sure. like screw this coronavirus. You know, it, it, it's one way or the other. I think it does mm-hmm. still take a a, a, um, a beat. You know, of thinking and then sort of proceeding with your decision making. I think it it involves doing that comparison, right? Slowing down and sort of comparing your understanding and experience with your audience or whoever it is. Um, Absolutely. And so So, comparison can actually be, I guess, a really like healthy thing when practiced with caution. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Carefully with compassion. Yeah. Compassionate comparison. Ooh, good. Good. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. I like that. All right, audience, let's get that trending on Twitter. Compassionate comparison i like that yeah i don't have a twitter so i won't know i think i do still um but it i don't know if i've tweeted in in quite literally years so it would be a little bit strange for me to uh just emerge from the blue with the hashtag compassionate comparison but let's do it maybe um, that's exact I'll, I'll compare my experience of having not tweeted in years with the the twitter <laughs> landscape right now and make a determination so should we uh do a quick summary yeah, I guess so. Take a stab at it. So we started off with the question, what's it like to have the coronavirus? And from there, immediately jumped into uh, our meteor question of how do we compare experiences or how can we, how do we, and why would we want to? Mm-hmm. And we sort of determined that we want to because it's a very important part of the human experience, uh, right? Both from a practical perspective of, you know, not making the same mistakes that someone else has made, and from a uh, just enrichment perspective of just wanting to learn what it's like to be someone you're not. Um, yep. That's something you can never really know, but uh, something you can strive for, and it's achievable to some extent. Um, And so how do we do that? Well, we do that through, you know, talking with other people or reading what they've written and, you know, sort of observing their experience in some way. And then Mm. by imagining ourselves experiencing those things that we've been told about or shown. Um, And this also helped us answer the question of, uh, why we don't like being told what to do because it feels patronizing and uh, invalidating in some way to have mm-hmm. someone say, you know, I know your experience and you're doing it wrong. Right. Um, yeah, what, what would you like to add to that? Well, I think that the, the, the next step from that then was um, talking about um, things like support groups and places where... Mm-hmm. Um, there is an exchange, right? That is mm-hmm. not patronizing. And that involves mm-hmm. uh, 
the two-way street of the speaker sort of granting access to the listener to say, okay, I, 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 I've compared my experience to yours, and I trust that you have valuable things to, to, to say to me about my experience. Right? right. And that up to that point, we just we listen, and sometimes we make the um, calculation that we need to speak into someone's life um, or experience, uh, even if they don't grant that um, right I but we recognize that, we're taking a risk and being patronizing when we do it precisely and that 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 is a choice one way or the other but it involves thought and i and i'm glad that earlier on in that summary peter that you used the word observing mm-hmm. because i think that that really really is kind of the crucial core uh, of comparative experience mm-hmm. that i think that uh, too often uh, I am guilty of, or or people are guilty of, doing that first step of acknowledging, like, "Hey, I'm a human being. They're a human being. We must have a lot in common. Therefore, I can speak." You know, like I, and then actually, as we've said, there's sort of myriad differences between even similar people, and so that observing is sort of the the, the first and most important step, and probably takes the longest as well, right? Yeah. Like, making sure that you really do take the time to observe someone else's experience. Um, Cause I think that that's where other people in a two way street um, then grant access into advice giving and receiving, right? Like I am probably more likely, I think someone who has observed me and observed my life and knows it really well, which means listening to me and all that sort of stuff is someone that I'm then going to trust to kind of give me advice and that sort of thing. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah, and so that's um, I, I appreciate that we arrived at that point of because that's something that I most certainly need to like practice more is is that that observational point of I mean it's look before you leap right and and that's a very reductive way of mm. uh, of uh, putting a cap on this extremely heady discussion but that is kind of yeah what it is yeah yeah no absolutely and and in that sense I'm I'm. Uh, probably due to be reminded to look before i leap and and uh yeah yeah i'm also thankful that i don't have the coronavirus for what it's worth yeah yeah uh sorry for the clickbait that we can't actually tell you what it's like to have the coronavirus but hopefully you guys uh enjoyed our rambling about what it's like to compare experiences with another person yeah, uh, it was it was good for me at least, Peter. So if no one else listens to this, then you know I, guess I feel like fine. I learned something. There we go. The tree fell in our forest, and if anyone <laughs> was around to hear it, then they heard the sound as well. But um, anyway, I'm Tom, and uh, my ten out of ten right now is getting a good night's sleep. All right, I'm Peter, and my ten out of ten is a burrito from Southern Sun, and this has been the nature of things. <laughs> <laughs>